So, uh, open in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is going to be a little less of a sermon, a little more just of uh, some of my reflections on the week and some passages that the Lord has placed upon my heart as we've uh, listened to listen to the messages that uh, Britton and Ryan have brought us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, as you're turning there, um, I want to take you back to uh, my high school years. Um, when I was in high school, I was a tennis player. I know there's a couple tennis players out there. And uh, you're not a tennis player. <laughs> And I was never a football player. Um, my freshman year, um, one of the probably one of the strongest memories I have. It's an it's an odd memory, perhaps. Um, my freshman year, played JV tennis, and there was certainly nothing spectacular uh, about my abilities. Uh, but there was uh, there was a senior on the team. His name was Gavin Sontag, and uh, my freshman year. Gavin went to states as a senior and won states. And uh, at the beginning of the season, we all expected him to do this, and he did. And so as a freshman, you kind of, you know, you have somebody on the team like this, you know, and you're on the JV squad, and he's varsity. I mean, it was basically like, uh, I mean, he was like my idol. Uh, I mean, he was the guy. And... uh, so one day I was uh, meeting a friend of mine to hit around, and he didn't show up on time, so I was just sitting there. And Gavin was there with the two guys who played first doubles on varsity. And so there I was, sitting there, looking lonely, hoping my buddy would show up. And uh, Gavin saw me over there. And he called over and he said, hey, Patrick. And that shocked me because I didn't even know he knew my name. Um, you know, when you play JV tennis, your job is basically just to get balls for other people. Um, and so he said, hey, Patrick, come on over. And so I went over, and um, he said, do you want to hit with us? And I don't remember what I said, but I'm sure it was something pretty stupid at the time. My, my friend's coming. and uh, Why don't you hit with us? Just hit with us until he comes. And so I went out there, and I'm pretty sure I kind of embarrassed myself. But, but all along, you know, as I was playing doubles with the soon-to-be state champion, he was encouraging me, telling me that was a good shot, that was a good serve. And it amazed me. It amazed me. I was overwhelmed by the fact that uh, not only... Did Gavin notice me? But Gavin needed me in that moment. He invited me onto that court to play tennis with him. He could have played Canadian doubles against these guys and done a far better job. But he invited me out on the court to play, to be a part of the game. And that hit me. That was a privilege, a privilege to play a set with Gavin. And what I want to leave you guys with tonight is to think about 
the privilege that you have and that I have to play a set with Jesus, to be a part of his team. Not only to know that he knows our name, he knows who you are, but he looks over at you and he says, come out on the court. It's time to play. You're fit for service. Second Corinthians chapter four, Paul reflects upon this fact. This is what he says in verse seven. I want to read down a few verses. Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Therefore, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not shaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal bodies. Paul reflects upon an amazing fact here in these passages. God puts this treasure. He's talking about the gospel. God commits the gospel, the ministry of the gospel, the building of his kingdom. He puts this treasure in jars of clay. You and I are the jars of clay that Paul is talking about. He hides this glorious treasure. The most valuable message that the world will ever hear. The most valuable message that we can share with anyone. And he commits this message, he commits this ministry to men and women who have testimonies like we just heard. To broken people. Weak people. Needy people. You know, when Paul calls us jars of clay, we need to understand what he's saying. He's, he's not talking about our value. He's talking simply about the fact that we're frail. We're fallen. We're finite, right? We've, we've heard this over and over throughout the week. We're frail and finite people. Many of which carry deep, deep wounds, deep scars, deep hurts. That's what he means when he says that we're jars of clay. We're needy. 
It's interesting, though, because he's not, he's not talking about our value. And I think so often when we, when we hear that, when we think about, we equate that to our value. But Scripture actually says just the opposite. That God commits this treasure to his treasures. You're his treasured possession. That's what he tells us in Deuteronomy 7. His people are his treasured possession. Valuable, beautiful, glorious in his sight. But not because we're awesome, not because we're incredible, not because we're wise, not because we're strong, but because he's good. And so he commits this treasure to weak men and women like you and I. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a privilege beyond privileges? To actually get out there on the courts and play. And that's what we have wanted you guys to hear all throughout this week. That the gospel begins with the amazing truth That the guilt of your sin is removed. That you're adopted as a child of God. You're loved by the king. His spirit is within you. It's changing you. It's sanctifying you. It's molding you more and more into the image of Christ. But on top of all of that, if those privileges weren't enough, God also calls us to service. He delights to use our ministry. He delights to use your words and your actions as weak and as frail and as needy and as broken as you are. And and, and what, what we saw in this passage is that he does this for his own glory so that the all-surpassing power would belong to him. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, that is an incredibly encouraging statement. Because if you're like me, you typically, you know, our weaknesses, right, they're, they're like front and center. We see them. We know them. And what God says is all of those weaknesses... All that junk that you carry around, it's not a liability. He actually uses our weakness. He uses our frailty. He uses testimonies like you all shared tonight. And he uses them in powerful, powerful ways. You have been entrusted with a treasure. And you're part of something that's bigger than yourself. You know, your life isn't insignificant. You're part of something huge. You're part of God's glorious plan to make all things new. He can make all things new the same way he created the first creation, right? By speaking it by the very word of his power. 
But he chooses to use us. He chooses to use the church to build and establish his kingdom. What a privilege. And we want you guys going home thinking, what a privilege. Jesus loves me enough to want me on his team. But as as we've heard over and over again over the the past couple days, serving Christ is no easy task, right? He's going to go fast and the waves are going to get big. We, We hear Paul saying that very thing, right? How he's pressed down and how he's perplexed. All the struggles he faces as a minister of the gospel, as a child of the Lord. So what kept Paul going? What's going to keep you going when you get home? Because we all recognize that tomorrow we leave the mountain. We go back into our lives. So so what will keep us going? What kept the Apostle Paul going? And you've heard it over and over and over from both Ryan and Britton already. If you're still there in 2 Corinthians, I want you to turn. Well, you may, you may not even have to turn. Go over to 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Paul's going to tell us what keeps him going, what keeps him serving. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. This is what he says. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live, that is you and I, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul says the love of Christ controlled him. And what we need to understand here is he's not talking about his love for Christ. That's not the controlling force. But it's Christ's love for him. It controls him. It overwhelms him. It keeps him pushing forward. It directs everything he does. It directs everything he says. You know, the word that he uses here literally means pressed in. He's pressed in by the love of God. If you guys went rafting on Tuesday, you know how when the water goes through these canyons and the canyon narrows and the water's just pushed through, that's the image that Paul is giving us here. Of his life just being pushed on, pushed forward, his every action, his every thought, his every word, controlled controlled by this overwhelming understanding that he is loved. He is loved with an everlasting covenant love of Jesus. And so the thing that I want to ask you this evening is what controls you? What controls you? What determines more than anything how you live? What affects the things that you do? 
And the reality is that we're all controlled by something. And the thing that controls us, we're really a slave to whatever thing that is that controls us. Paul calls himself a servant, a bondservant, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. But so often, our struggle, the reason why we find service so difficult is because we're controlled by something else. Maybe fear. Maybe revenge. Maybe depression. And these things overwhelm us. They enslave us. They push us down. And Paul calls us back. Scripture calls us back to lift our eyes and to focus our attention on the all-surpassing love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only controlling force that will ever give you freedom. Real freedom. To be controlled by the love of Jesus. And you'll notice that Paul basically says that when we're controlled, when we're overwhelmed and moved forward by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, service becomes the most natural thing in the world. You'll notice this in the rest of verse 14. He says, the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that the one, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live, that those who find their life in him might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul lives his life for the one who gave his life for him. What greater joy, what greater privilege could we ever be given than this? Than to render our service, to live our life for the very king who gave his life for us. That's the fountain of service, and that's the thing that we've been reminded of over and over again. And I loved in your testimonies to hear you basically begin to wrestle through, so many of you begin to wrestle through what this looks like. What does it mean for you to live for Christ? For you to go home tomorrow? For you to go to school? For you to go back to your church? You go back to your community and live for Christ? And the reality is Jesus is going to call some of you to do some amazing things. But for the most part, the place that we live our life is in the mundane, right? We're going to go to school. We're going to take tests. Our parents are going to ask us to wash the dishes. Our siblings are going to annoy us. And in all those opportunities, we get to love Jesus. We get to love him in the hallways. We get to love him on the football field. 
We get to love them at church. We get to love them at the movies, at the mall, wherever we go. Living our life for the one who gave his life for us. The reality is, is that the bigger our view of Christ's love becomes, the greater our love for Christ becomes. The more we understand the depth of his love for us, the more we are enabled, the more we're motivated to live for him, to love one another. Growing in our awareness of Christ's love is the only thing that's going to lead us to service. It's the only thing that's going to lead us to holiness. It's the only thing that's going to lead us to change. As we fix our eyes upon him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You know, many of you may have come to camp this week completely convinced that you are absolutely unlovable. And hopefully one of the big things that Jesus has done is unravel that thought. And no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you're not unlovable. And that he loves you with an everlasting love. Others of you may have come to camp thinking that Jesus has every reason in the world to love you because you're a great guy and you do all the right things. And hopefully that thought was unraveled as well as we recognize that it's not anything in us, anything that we have done that is qualified us for this amazing love. The more we understand the depths of Christ's love for us, the more our hearts are moved to love him in return. You know, the thing that makes YXL so great the reason that you love it, you probably don't realize this, but the reason that you love YXL is because you're doing ordinary church stuff. You're just doing a whole lot of it. Isn't that strange? <laughs> you know, how often do you not want to go to church? But all we do here is church stuff. The thing that makes YXL so great is the fact that for an entire week, you're immersed in the Word of God. You're immersed in prayer. You're immersed in fellowship with the people of the Lord. There's nothing magical about YXL. It's simply the means of grace, God's very means of grace, doing the very thing that He promised us they would do. And it's time to go down the mountain. But the wonderful thing is 
that two days from now, like, like 36 hours from now, you'll be home. And you get to do the exact same stuff. You know, it might not be with a bunch of other 17-year-olds. It might be with like 77-year-olds. <laughs> but that's your chance to serve. And there you find the Word of God. And there you find Christian fellowship. And guess what? Not only do people have different gifts and different temperaments, but they come from different generations. And as much as you ESFJs need those INFPs, you 17-year-olds need 47-year-olds. And you get to go back to it. Now, I was thinking earlier today, I don't know if this is going to work, so bear with me. YXL is kind of like a gas station. You know, why do you go to a gas station at all? To refill, right? You don't like hang out at the gas station. You show up at the gas station to fuel up and to get back on the road. And that's what you're doing. You're getting back on the road. You know, so the exciting stuff, it actually begins tomorrow when you leave the gas station, when you put the pump back in the handle. And you get on the road, and you serve. And next year, you get to come back to the gas station. But of course, we're not made to go an entire year, right? So next week, you get to go to the gas station. And you get to experience the very things you experienced here, and you get to be reminded of the very thing that you need to be reminded of. The love of God in Christ. And you refuel. And you get going. YXL is kind of like a gas station. There's even fun food that you could get from the store. Now I'm probably pushing the illustration way too far. <laughs> so, service is a privilege. A privilege beyond privileges that God would use us. Broken, fallen, frail, glorious, beautiful, loved men and women to build his kingdom. Take the reminder, not only this week, but take the reminder when you get home that God loves you. He sent his son to die for you, and he called you to service. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this glorious truth. The fact that you have loved us so much that you would send your son into the world to die for us. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your faithfulness, for the fact that you have lived and died in our place, for the fact that you have given us your righteousness, that you have wiped away all of our sin. Lord, we do pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would strengthen us, 
that you would drive the reality of the gospel deep into our hearts. And Lord, I do pray that you would protect us, that you would protect every single one of these students as they return home, as they return home to the things that they're afraid of. Lord, that you would strengthen them to break old patterns and to serve, to serve you with joy and gladness. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.